When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Yeah, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. Welcome to MKT to the Future, Episode 2, Marketing Futurism Podcast. I'm joined by Max Slonem, a Strategy Director at Initiative. Max caught my attention with an article on LinkedIn titled, The Failing and the Fixing of Advertising Education. As a recent Syracuse Newhouse graduate, really caught my attention. Max, welcome to the podcast. Chris, thanks for having me. I feel honored to be part of the very few guests. Yeah, yeah, guest number two. Wonderful. So Max, talk to us a little bit about what your role is at Initiative and kind of how you got focused in on this article about advertising education. So my role at Initiative is a strategy director. I'm, I'm privileged to work across a host of awesome brands uh, like Lego and Salesforce. Um, when COVID hit, uh, I was made aware of a really awesome program run by We Are Next called Coffee at a Distance. And it sought to place um, and connect people in the industry with people who were trying to break into the industry, right? And it identified the fact that particularly for the graduating class of 2020, things had been pretty rough, right? Like they would sort of, um, you know, gone through all their schooling life, hoping to graduate into a system which readily accepts them, has a job waiting at the end of the process, um, unfortunately that wasn't really the case. So there was a whole bunch of kids that were sort of looking for mentorship and guidance. And I threw my hand up to be a part of that. Um, and in the process of speaking to a lot of, um, soon to be, I guess, uh, employees in the advertising industry and a whole bunch of students, I quickly realized that the system in place to support them and to teach them wasn't the best one that it could be. So I decided to write about it. So Max, you came to the States and joined initiative from Australia. Uh, you kind of took a chance with this and you really had to get your foot in the door. In the blog, you talked a lot about how certain very talented students come in without those networks. Can you talk about that issue with college students who really don't have that place, a connection in advertising and how, how much of a challenge it is for them to break into the industry? Uh, yeah, advertising often had a walled, a walled garden around it, which, which, we use that term now to refer to social media giants like Facebook and Google, but the original walled garden was really the one that was sort of created and structured by agencies themselves that um, often made it really hard for young folks, particularly people of diverse minority backgrounds to break into the, break into the industry. Um, it was often a case of who you know rather than what you know. And while that's still pretty pervasive, um, I think we've gotten a lot better at it. Like we've made some really, really important strides, but there's still a long way to go. Um, and many of the hurdles that prevent people from getting into the industry still exist. And that could be things from um, cost of tuition all the way through to free internships or rather non-paid internships, which um, while ostensibly uh, available to everyone, often the only people that can take on board um, non-paid internships, the people that have the sort of background and the financial support of their family behind them to let them do that. Yeah, so you talked about COVID. How much has that impacted it with a lot of internships drying up this summer? Did it become more challenging for these students without pre-existing connections to break in? Or it, did, did you see opportunities opening up because of COVID? Internships are probably the 
the, the best way to break in, right? Um, and, and, and what has become clear um, and what you've noticed speaking to anyone in the industry is that internships were basically cancelled for the summer. Like, there, there, there are a couple of small exceptions. Um, you know, there, there's a really awesome one called the Virtual Internship Program that Madewell and Agency did. Um, but outside of programs like that, they were few and far between because all the the big agencies were, you know, f- f- feeling the full force of the the economic downturn itself um, and had to redirect resource internally, um, which meant that really the rug was pulled out of a lot of young students who had counted on those internship placements to get their foot in the door. Um, so as a result, not only were they sitting on their hands with nothing to do over summer, um, they didn't have that professional opportunity, which would often catapult them into a first job. Definitely. I saw some of my friends who are still juniors or sophomores at Syracuse. They had internships, like you said, just pulled out from under them. A few of them did things where they took all of their skills and they pulled them together for a startup this summer following a passion project. You talked a little bit in your blog about how a lot of advertising programs discourage students pulling together general interests and general skills to focus on specializing. How do students advance their interests by focus on, focusing on general skills? I, I think it requires, um, it requires agencies and recruiters themselves to relax the requirements that they place on students, firstly, because that's then going to create the conditions and the confidence for young people to explore different, different parts and different interests. Um, but I think it also requires um, students to be a bit more thoughtful and maybe even assertive in how they market themselves. Um, and rather than fall into the trap of trying to um, appear to be like who they think the ideal candidate is, their best bet of getting hired is to make themselves stand out in the best possible way. And that might be indulging all the different interests that you have in life, because the more interests you have, the more varied your background, the more diverse your skill set the more strings you have to your boat, the more interesting and unique you can possibly present yourself as. And the sort of, you know, cruel irony at the heart of all of this is that, you know, students are so desperate to appear like complete and and fully formed as applicants. They end up resembling each other so much that it's hard to distinguish between candidates. Yeah. So do you see this in the big agencies? Is this an issue like we talked about with where you need a foot in the door to really stand out? Do students feel like it's so hard to stand out as a general applicant through these kind of, it's a blind application. There's, it really feels like you have no hope. Do you think that's part of why they feel they have to specialize? Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. So I, th- I think it comes down to, again, methods of recruitment um, and particularly for, you know, entry level roles, ensuring we're going beyond, you know, um, sort of, basic or blind applications and really trying to get to know people or showing up at fairs. And I know that stuff still very much happens, but in a world in which there is, you know, more demand than ever for entry level roles, particularly in strategy, um, I think we owe it to, to students to give them the best chance of making their voice heard. A year ago, actually, in my senior capstone class, everything was about your portfolio and your website and trying to use that as the thing to stand out. 
In your blog, you talked about some of the shortcomings of portfolios standing out. Can you talk about that? Yeah, in the blog, in, in, in the blog, in the piece, I, I, I liken portfolios to genetic engineering, which might have been quite harsh, but it kind it, it, it kind of is loosely true because, um, you know, what portfolios do is make the job of a recruiter a whole lot easier because they standardize the process in the same way that um, genetic engineering standardize, standardizes the crop of, you know, carrots so that rather than producing, you know, an excellent few, it produces a very good entire crop, right? And there's no real sort of oddballs or failures or ugly offshoots. Um the fact is that advertising needs a whole lot more ugly offshoots. It needs, you know, it needs the weird ones. It needs the ones that have, you know, like weird legs sticking out the sides and hairs coming off the top um, because that's what adds the colour and the and the creativity to the work. And without the people that can sort of inspire that level of work, um, without the people that are prepared to sort of break, break boundaries and do things a little bit differently, um, all that you get is more of the same. And, and that's kind of the, the, the trouble with portfolios is that um, they don't allow for that much creativity within the format sometimes. And the format becomes the, the, the ultimate outcome and output. It's like, I must produce, you know, a beautiful Squarespace website that has, you know, two by four boxes where you click on them and it shows a brand that I've thought of or thought an idea of for. Um, and, 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 that in itself is a perfectly fine idea. It's a good thought exercise, but it doesn't actually help you stand out because it's gone to the point of saturation with portfolios. So really I'd encourage students to break the, break the format, think about how you can still show your thinking in regards to brands, but do it in a new way. So with COVID, there's been a lot of uh, emphasis on things like me being encouraged to start a podcast with all this downtime. What are some ways, as opposed to a portfolio, that you think students could leverage digital tools or offline tools to kind of repl or replace or at least make up ground for a portfolio? I, I love your podcast idea. I think it's kick-ass. Um, more people can do that. Um, look, just fr from personal experience, one thing I've always really enjoyed doing um, is is making and designing little little magazines. Magazines is, is giving it way too much credit. They're not that. They're like, pathetic attempts at magazines, but the combination of trying to like tell stories and, you know, like understand people and, um, uh, you know, sort of create a beautiful series of photographs is something which I really like doing within that format and kind of like package it up, do it all up in InDesign and, and send it off. So like, that's kind of my preferred format. Um, re really it's, 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 it's totally up to you. Like if there is, you know, if you think of it as a Venn diagram and you have, you know, one circle is format, which is um, underrepresented in the industry or amongst your peers. And the other circle is things that I'm good at or things that I'm interested in, like right at the center of that, hopefully sits your, your best angle. So, you know, like from your perspective, it's probably a case of like, oh, there actually isn't like that many or any podcasts that are coming from the perspective of a recent graduate or a student about marketing boom, awesome. Like, and they also happen to be really interested in podcasting as a medium and interviewing people. Like, great, like personal skill set. I'm good at it. And then at the center of that sits, you know, the podcast. So I, th I think it's about sort of finding that, finding that sweet spot for people. So we've talked a lot about what students have to do on their own in these advertising programs. 
the reality is that some of these top schools, kids are paying $60,000 a year to get this education that they're told should set them up for their dream career. But then they're doing all of this work. It's like you're, you're paying to work. What do you think about just the state of the economics of advertising education? It's not in a very good state, is it? Um, I, I, I think we've allowed ourselves to get in a situation where um, recruiters and agencies have prioritized a certain set of particularly portfolio skills for the recruitment of new students, which has meant, you know, demand for those schools has, has risen exponentially and they've allowed themselves to sort of increasingly, you know, ratchet up the prices. Um, in the process, they've, you know, implemented you know more more grants for diverse students which is a great thing um but the reality is there is so much value to be had in the wider education system and that spans everything from you know places like miami ad school all the way through to you know like laguardia community college which are called out in the in, in the article so it's it's a matter of equalizing education if you will um and understanding that great ideas can come from anywhere in the same way that great talent can come from anywhere. Um, so, so absolutely. I, I, I think the moment agencies start to look elsewhere other than the really expensive schools for talent, it's going to maybe like puncture, you know, those, those schools and the inflated um, demand that is rushing through those school, those schools. And as a result, they'll be forced to drop their prices more people will look elsewhere and hopefully it would equalize it a little bit more. I always like to end this podcast with a little futurism exercise of challenging my guests to make a projection for the next 15 years in the advertising industry. So I'm going to dial that up. I'm going to have two projections for you. One, prototype what the ideal advertising school looks like in 15 years. And then along those same lines, what does the ideal advertising student look like in 15 years? Wow. A couple of easy projections <laughs> you've thrown me there. Um, all right. Ideal advertising school. So the ideal advertising school is free to attend. It is paid for by, um, by a cut of the media commission fees that are going to agencies. I'm making this up as I go along, obviously, but, the big four holding companies agree to include a 0.01% commission on all media bookings that are run through their agencies. That 0.01% commission then goes towards the funding of, let's call it Ad School X. Ad School X is then completely funded um, by the agencies that seek to employ the talent. Um, it's available to everyone. It has, um, I imagine it's probably entirely virtual by that stage. And I think even implementing physical classrooms would disadvantage people because where do you put it, right? You can put it in, you know, New York City or you can put it in Nebraska. It doesn't really matter because there's still going to be people that can't access that physically. So it almost needs to be virtual. Um, it would be staffed by an incredible diversity of tutors um, and, and uh, working professionals who act as professors but are emblematic of not just the best talent in the industry, but also represent society as a whole. So demographically, psychologically, they're more representative of society as it currently stands rather than right now, where it tends to be a bit sort of like stiff-shirted, old white dude professor, unfortunately. 
Um, so that's the ad school. Um, the the ad student, the the ad student, for me, is 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 a tricky one. Um, I don't think it should be, you know, we should think less about them potentially demographically, um, as much as we should think about them maybe sort of psychographically. Um, and I think the ideal ad student needs to be someone or should be someone of um, diverse thinking, of empathy, of compassion, um, of uh, sort of persistence and tenacity um, and someone that is prepared, prepared to create space and make room for others and work with others really, really well. Um, you know, it would be ideal if that person came from a sort of underrepresented background within advertising, but hopefully in 15 years, we've managed to fix a lot of the ills that we currently face right now. Um, so I'm aiming for an archetype of, you know, someone that maybe fits the mold that I described, but there really is no ideal student because the industry itself is an ideal. We've all got our, our, our warts and our failings and we should be encouraging everyone to bring their whole self to work. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast, Max. And definitely you handled that very challenging question very well and very concretely. I feel like I want to go to ad school X class. <laughs> so sign me up for that first year once you uh, establish ad school X. But I encourage everyone listening to check out Max's article on LinkedIn, The Failing and the Fixing of Advertising Education. And I think the comments on that post really speak for themselves. Can you just talk about the, for the final question, kind of the public reaction to that article? And was it something that you expected? It was really gratifying um, because I, you know, obviously I'd spoken to a whole bunch of people before, before writing it as I was writing it, but I didn't know what the reaction would be. Um, so it, 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 yeah, it, it was, it was, it was, it was reaffirming to hear that I had, you know, put words to a lot of feelings that, you know, people and students had had recently. Um, but at the same time, it was in a way a little bit disheartening because it, it sort of solidified a lot of the, the failures that I had thought were, 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 were present and still are present. Um, so it, it was sort of, I guess, yeah, in some respects, good to get the feedback in some respects, it wasn't good. The other, the other sort of note where the element was that, you know, I had a couple of, like professors and people within advertising education who were coming out from the college's perspective saying, Hey, you know what, what you've raised are valid points, but there are reasons for this. Like, like let's have a chat about it, which I really, really appreciated as well because I didn't by any means really want to sort of like fire a shot across the bow at like big colleges. Um, you know, I wanted to start a dialogue and draw attention to the issue. And it's wonderful that professors also sort of, wanted to reach out and have a chat about it. So that is all still very much underway right now. Um, and the discussion, the conversation continues, which is good. Yep. So that's episode two of MKT to the future. Max, thank you for joining. And hopefully some of our listeners try and join in on this conversation and add their insights to some of the challenges facing advertising education. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thank you.